you are now listening to Grinding True Crime with your host, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby. Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims and killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them and that he was also a necrophiliac. Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of Grinding Sweet Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with and our narrator for today, Todd Fox. And we are here back kicking in another episode of Grinding Sweet Crime Podcast. But before we get into that, we want to let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Just type in Grinding True Crimes and there you can follow us, leave a comment, like our page. And we will get back to you as soon as possible. Uh, we've been getting a lot of new fans, so we appreciate all the love and the comments as well and the recommendation. We thank you for that. Just wanted to break that out there. Um, if you want to listen to us on your podcast stream, you can go to Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, and Pandora. And for those listening to us outside of the U.S., you can continue to listen to us on Podchaser, Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Pocket Cast, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go to redbubble.com, type in Todd Fox 80, and there you can buy merchandise courtesy of Grinding to Crime. And also, if you'd like to leave a Cash App donation uh, to our cause, you can leave it on Cash App. Just type in dollar sign, Grinding True Crimes. Uh, I was just informed by Todd Fox right before we started recording to say this episode is strongly advised as listener's discretion. So listener's discretion is strongly advised. So I think I got everything out of the way. Yes, you did. And I think it's time for Todd Fox to break down his story. Who is this case about, Todd Fox? Let us know. Well, we go to, first of all, before I let you know who it's about, we're going to go to the UK. And it's my first case in the UK. You guys have ventured Uh over there a couple of times. So I figured, why not? There we go. You're jumping on the bandwagon, sir. Yeah, let's leave California for once, at least (laughs) with my stories, you know. So we we got a story virgin anymore. Exactly. (laughs) I popped my cherry on this one. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you don't have one. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, don't assume that I do or I don't. Okay, Gabby. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Especially now. Exactly. Oh, but uh, go for it, Todd. What we got, man? I, I could be a cherry tree. You never know. You know what, Todd? You <laughs> anyway, what, Todd? anyway, just say it. All say right. my voice, man. Do the voiceover. Do it. Do it, Todd. <laughs> oh, I can't find. Well, hold on. Let me see if I can find it real, real quick. Uh, yeah. Stop it. There you go. <laughs> All right. Let's let's get started. Enough shenanigans. Um, this one's gonna be about 
the probably what most people consider the second worst uh, serial killer in the UK in the London area, and that is Dan, uh, Dennis Andrew Nielsen. This is a listener request, so we're going to get to one of these episodes that the listeners have been telling us a lot about to try to do this episode, and got into a lot of it, so there's a lot to get into as we'll get started here. I forgot who sent that request to uh, check that one out. I forgot who it was, but when we find it out, we'll, we'll give you a shout out. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you know what? We're going to we're going to talk about what the uh, graphic nature of the of his crimes. And uh, so it's going to get a little uh, dicey here. So just bear with it. If you've gotten through uh, Gabby's stories about uh, Jeffrey Dahmer and a few others that we've done, well, you should be able to make it through this one. So just give me a heads up. Um, so here we go. Uh, <clears throat> let's get started with a Dennis Nielsen story. He was born uh, November 23rd, 1945. In a small town of Fraserborough, Scotland, um, his mother. From, what's that? No, I'm saying good old Scott. Yes, sir. Uh, his mother was, from all indications, a sweet, a sweet homemaker and tended to her kids at this time, which was his older brother and uh, him at this point when he was about four years old. His older brother was about six or seven. Um, so it's not your typical family that we always run into. Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up, Gabby, because the you know, if the mother's okay, usually the father's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. And the father was a former Norwegian soldier, and uh, can you guess what his favorite pastime was to do once he was out of the military? Shoot birds. Nope. Yeah, I was going to say, like, kill cats or kill dogs. No, just drink. He was an abusive drunk. Oh. Hmm? Yeah. He um he tended to uh, stay away from his kids and family altogether. He preferred the alcoholic beverage over his kids. He had no connection with his family, <clears throat> and he would leave the household by the time Dennis was four years old. So, oh wow! Yeah. So when he left, um, the mother decided to move in with her parents, which was Dennis's grandparents, and um, he at this time for a two to three year period was he said was the happiest time of his life when he was a child his grandfather um became real close with him he was a merchant marine and a a fisherman and he would take dennis out for walks along the beach teach him about the the sand and the and the, the sea creatures in the ocean and he would take him on the ocean to fish and so the two were inseparable um so this was uh this would go on till 1951 when dennis was six years old <clears throat> and on Halloween night, uh, two fishermen were uh, were on the shore, and they saw a boat just drifting in the ocean, just off the uh, uh, the shoreline area, about about a couple hundred yards out. So they went to investigate, and unfortunately, they found Dennis's grandfather slumped over and dead of an apparent heart attack. Oh, yeah, he would die at sixty-two years old. <clears throat> so. So that was probably traumatic for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing was, though, Gabby, that wasn't the most traumatic thing. Now, I don't know. Oh. How, I don't know how they do things over there in in the Scotland area, but what they did do with the grandfather is they took him to the house um, before they took him to the mortuary or the you know the corner or whatever, mm-hmm. and they already had him in a casket in the in the kitchen what? Of, of the house. Yeah. 
What the heck? Yeah, so this is this is what he's saying. So instead of the mom saying, "Hey, you know, uh, Grandpa died. Um, <clears throat> you need to say your last, uh, you know, pay your pay your last respects to your grandfather. Try to show him something. I know he's only six years old, but here's something that will stick with Dennis the rest of his life. And just remember this part: he sees his half naked grandfather <clears throat> in the casket." You know, dead as a doornail, already with a talcum powder, you know, that they put over the bodies to preserve them and mm -hmm. you know, slow the process of decomposing, decomposing uh, of the body. Uh, decomposition is what I was looking for. Uh, yeah. Three, third time. <laughs> you're charm. sounding like your little hillbilly. Yeah. Yeah. That's decomposition, <laughs> you know, it's a the body just like rots away. But, <laughs> but yeah, um, they were right there. And he was looking at the body of the grandfather, and nobody explained anything to him. Ooh. So he has no idea that he's actually dead? He's just staring at him like that? Yeah, he wouldn't realize that his grandfather was dead till years later, but he just had that envisioned, like, <clears throat> that picture of his grandfather just dead in the casket in their kitchen, and he didn't know why for years. That's terrible. How yeah. do you gonna have a child remember their grandparent that way? Mm-hmm. So, Oof. yeah... Uh, it, it, this would this would shake him up for the rest of his life. He would remember that. Um, but after you know the grandfather passed away, the grandmother and the his own mother became distant from one another, and his own mother began to go around dating other men. Uh oh. So she'd bring other men home, and you know shack up with one or two here and there, and until finally she got one that was you know, uh, going to be around for the long haul. But the kicker is <clears throat> this guy wanted nothing to do with Dennis or his brother. And he wanted to start a new family and, and that they did. They pumped out four kids in five years. Good Lord. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. You're talking about the grandma or the mom? The mother, the mother. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good I Lord. Sorry. You <laughs> thought it was grandma pumping out? Yeah, I thought it was grandma. <laughs> 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 Yo, way to go, grandma. Oh, boy. Pumping out more than dust. <laughs> Powdered milk. Oh, Powdered milk. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's got the infamil. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Um, so, uh, yeah, at this time, you know, um, he's getting no love from his mom. His brother's struggling in his own ways. Uh, Dennis is getting taller. Uh, for his age, um, he, he's in <clears throat> middle school slash high school. He's getting tall. He's very skinny, long hair. Um, you know, this is the the '60s era. You know, <clears throat> flower power and all that. And he's just getting bullied a lot by a lot of kids, and they're they're doing all the 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 crazy stuff that back then kids would do to each other, and you know, knocking his books down, tripping them. Uh, beating him up. Uh, they would call him a right. hen. They would call him a hen. Which, a hen? Yeah, which was another slang uh, term for uh, uh, what is it? An old woman? Like they said that he was like an old woman or like a mother, you know, type of you know for for a teenager boy, and that kind of no, hurt. I thought feeling. it was going to be like a chicken or something. Yeah, <laughs> maybe he had chicken legs. I don't know, but they were saying it was because you know <laughs> he looked like a, he looked like a woman, you know. So. You look like a bloody hen. That's so sad. You know, so 
I know my UK accent is not good, so I'm, I was trying to say bloody hen. Bloody hen. I should just talk like the Beatles, you know, do the 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 let the uh, accent. Do yeah, Mr. You know, Darcy. Do I'll Mr. Do Darcy. Le- I'll do let no no I can't do Mr. Darcy. I'll do Letty's accent. They don't they don't know Letty's accent, but I'll it's like a Beatles accent. So we'll, <laughs> That'll work. That will work. <laughs> so uh yeah, these these kids kept, you know, harassing him, you know. And so he was not popular at all through middle school and high school. And um, <clears throat> you know, he had no experience with women whatsoever. Um or girls of his age. He liked them and was attracted to them, but then he had some weird feelings of looking at other boys and Uh-oh. becoming aroused. Uh-oh. So okay. he so he was fighting with himself, you know, whether he was straight or gay. Or was he bisexual? He didn't know. He didn't no one was there to give him advice. It was the sixties. It was sort of just, hey, roll with it if you if you're gonna do it. If not, stay away from it, whatever. Um so what do you think he did, you know, in a deeply religious town in Scotland? You know, did he face his his uh, sexuality and just go for it or did he run away? What do you guys think? Uh, deeply religious town of Scotland. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say he actually faced his I'm going to say he went he went about it. He 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 faces the what's the word I'm looking for? His desires. Okay. What Matt said. <clears throat> <laughs> what Matt said. Stop it. <laughs> so he he actually decided not to. Now, see, I don't know. Uh, uh, I can't do a Scottish accent, but I'm assume he had a London accent or like a a British accent. So it's going to be like, well, hey, I decided to go to the army. I went to the British Army. At the age of fifteen, I dropped out of high school. So how bad? Sounds Irish. <laughs> I don't know. Sounds what. Like I don't know. Not bad for for U.S. American guy. Not bad. Sounds something. I'm trying. I I, I thought he sounded like a. I was gonna say Ringo, but not Ringo Starr, uh, the lead singer from the uh, Beatles. <sighs> Paul McCartney. There you go. Sort of like Paul. Sort of like Paul. Don't ask me how I know. <laughs> now everybody like the Beatles. There you go. But did you hear that though? He went to the British Army at the age of fifteen. Do they crazy. allow that over there? Now see, that's what I was trying to look into. I don't know if that was the case. If they were, but but he didn't get in on as an infantry man or someone on the front line. He wasn't like combat. T- no, he was a um in the he was a uh, chef. So he oh, was like, okay. yeah. So he took up culinary in the army. Okay. So, so he by enlisting in the army, you know, he bypassed his freshman year in high school. He's like, I'm going to go make some meat and potatoes. So, he, you know, he went to and he was able to travel a lot, you know. So uh, here's another thing that will get you thinking about, you know, about his future and about what usually happens with serial killers. Now, working with the British Army, they would sometimes catch capture their own animals and mm-hmm. butcher them. And what's a trait of serial killers? Cats. Murdering cats. And other animals, right? Just killing animals, yeah. Mainly cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was paid to chop these animals up and cook them. So, Ooh. and he knew how to dissect them, cut the bones out. Like, like they were teaching him all the skills 
to butcher like a young a young butcher. It was oh, his job. Yeah, so he already was, you know, getting like all the, you know, he's bullied, you know, broken home, uh, you know, father's a drunk, uh, you know, now he's chopping up animals. It's like it's all falling into place. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I I feel like that skill is going to come into play later in the story. It it just might be. It just could be. This could be. Yes, sir. So, uh, you know, he's he's a, he's in the teenager years right now. He's working in the military. He's not able to act out like he's he's focusing on his culinary skills to where he doesn't act out and do anything stupid. You know, he knows that if he were to, to come on to one of his fellow soldier men or one of the men that he's serving, you know, he could get in, he could get beat up. I mean, a lot of things could happen. He can get kicked out of the army because uh, back then it was illegal to be gay. So you couldn't be that in mm-hmm. public. Right. So he was very scared and he thought the military would keep him in line. It was like that in Scotland as well. Yeah, but right now he's in the he's he's moved on to to the British Army, so he's touring oh. around London. He even went to Africa, like parts of oh. North Africa. So he's been all over the place. <clears throat> um, so what he did to cope with this, you know, not only trying to keep himself straight, so to speak, and stay away from getting into trouble, he starts to drink a lot. So he become you know he he drinks a ton. Um, and then where his grandpa played in the, uh, came into play with this whole story, he then starts to explore his sexual fantasies by using the talcum powder that was, you know, spread on his grandfather's body. He starts to, yeah, he puts it on himself and lies down in front of a mirror to where his head's not in the mirror view, like to the left of him. So he's lying. So he's lying flat on the ground. He puts talcum powder all over himself to make himself look like a dead corpse, and then he looks at himself in the mirror and then begins to masturbate. Oh, so that's a turn on for him now. Yes, because you remember, like, and yes, he was six years old at the time. But remember how we've all talked about stories about when people have their first either sexual first, encounter mm-hmm. or something that clicks in their head as something sexual may not be sexual to me or you or gabby but it's sexual to them Mm -hmm. and i think this is one of the things that it it clicked for him and now that was something that would be morbid to anybody else taboo to anybody else but normal for him how on earth i don't that's hard for me to understand it's it is hard like that your traumatic experience would be something you want to picture now and that turns you on that is so weird well you said the corpse was half naked right Todd yes so he's six years old he probably saw his grandpa half naked and that might have you know triggered something I don't know but like you said Todd usually your first sexual somewhat uh, experience or sexual encounter is usually hard to get rid of or it lasts with you for a long time Absolutely. And here's another part to this. So he would put like blue lipstick or something on his lips to make it look like they were, you know, he'd been dead for a while. So then he'd start looking at himself and getting that kind of gratification, masturbating to himself as well, pretending he was, you know, deceased himself. Now he got creative to where he didn't show his, his, uh, you know, his homosexual activities or his feelings, 
or you know his thoughts by convincing fellow soldiers to take pictures but with their clothes on but like as killed in 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 battle type pictures so he was saying oh i'm creating this book with you know i want to i want to take these pictures not on the battlefield but like you know like he just made up a story and got the soldiers paid him a few bucks and they actually you know they like to pose for him yeah they posed for him and then so they're thinking okay they're making like this he's making a magazine or he's making a book but no he was just using those pictures for sexual gratification later oh. i'll feel violated <laughs> I ain't gonna lie, I feel violated, man. I ain't gonna lie. Were you one of those? Were you one of those soldiers? Oh, I'm just telling you what I'm saying. Babe, is there something about Britain you haven't told us? Hey, listen here. <laughs> okay. Pause. <laughs> pause. Major pause. Uh, so uh, he, you know, he's uh, he's going about his business. He's finding a way to, you know be sexually gratified you know although you know it's very taboo he's got to keep it secret until he meets a 22 year old private who the two you know would get along really good they'd hang oh, out they were private all right I'm about to- <laughs> you too i'm shaking my no, face it, it, just, it just it just went it's it went right out your mouth like that pause and said met a 22 year old private it, it just it went so smooth <laughs> that's what he said <laughs> but <laughs> I just realized what I said. Uh, why do I'm you just saying we're not endorsing anything. We're not saying anything. It just it came out so smooth. Why so. couldn't the other guy been a sergeant, not a private? You know, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but but, 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 <laughs> but here's a twist, a twist to Uh-oh. this. So he didn't get the private's private. So because that private was was uh, straight. So his privates, oh, okay. were, yeah, his privates were off the uh, the uh, to do list. Um, Dennis Dennis found himself very attracted to him, and he actually, you know, came forward to him, and the private rejected him. But he thought the private would squeal on him. And he didn't. He just turned him down and said, "Hey, man, you know, it's cool. We're we're cool. We're friends, but I don't go that way." So Dennis was hurt, but he was happy that he didn't turn him turn him in. Well, that's good. Yeah. So uh, Dennis went on to have an 11-year career with the uh, military before he finally just decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to discharge myself from the military, uh, take an honorable discharge at the age of 26. So he leaves the military. And most military men, regardless of what country you're in, usually fall back to police work. Awesome. Yeah. And so he was like no other, like like every other. And in 1972, he became a London police officer. He moved to London. Nice. Yeah, and he would patrol the uh, some of the gay areas that had you know gay bars and stuff in it. Some of the areas that other officers didn't want to touch. And he was saying, "Hey, you know, I'll volunteer. I'll, you know, it's, it's okay." Mm-hmm. And for the for the most part, he was. A good officer. People liked him in the in the neighborhood. He he didn't cause any problems and stuff. And then this also allowed him to get to know the neighborhood, get to know where the parts where police wouldn't get mad if you know men were were to hang out with other men, and where it was legal to. And uh, he began to go to these uh, gay bars and have casual sex at times. So yeah, I don't think that he's a cop. That's not a good. 
Yeah, so he was he had a double life at the at the time. So mm-hmm. when uh, so he had to be an undercover police officer and an undercover homosexual because he couldn't be both of those in the light, you know, because he would get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1973, uh, he came up upon a car that was parked outside of a gay bar where two men were having sex. Um, this should have been an arrestable offense. He should have taken both of them in and mm-hmm. he looked at both of them and said, that's not cool. And he literally the next day went into work and gave up his badge and gun and said he quit because he, he figured. What? Yeah, he, he had morals at the time. He was like, you know, that's messed up. You know, they're just having, you know, they're just being human. Why am I going to arrest them? So he figured I don't want to be on the side that's going against what I what he likes yeah exactly exactly so um after this though uh he would he would get a job for the city as a uh you know work in one of the high-ranking um city development companies in, in downtown London so he he got a good fallback job um so it's it's around 1975 he's you know he's he's hooking up still with with men and uh you know but everything's casual and, and he's never really had a boyfriend until he meets up with a guy named david ganeshan and uh, the the relationship flourished and uh, they would enjoy uh lots of fun times with each other they had a dog named uh let's see if you can name the dog uh <laughs> think think of the weirdest name ever for a dog mm-hmm. a little yorkshire terrier or something like that buttercup <laughs> close um, nothing twinkie, twinkie. <laughs> <laughs> they called it bleep bleep how the heck you get close <laughs> well you had a b he said buttercup so. oh. i would have never guessed bleep <laughs> <laughs> Reminded me of your nephew. Oh, this. Okay, bleep. Yeah, it was bleep. So the the two were pictured out a lot um, in the neighborhood, walking the dog together. You know, two two taller guys walking a little Yorkshire Terrier. You know, you you kind of were like, oh, okay, they're probably hooking up, or they're they're probably homosexuals, which was the term Mm -hmm. back then. And, you know, they, they had some sneers and stuff like that. But uh, for the most part, you know, as long as they weren't doing nothing in the eye of the police, they weren't going to get arrested or nothing like that. They were just. Well, he was a big guy. Yeah. Both those guys were tall, you know, so. And, 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 okay. and the other, yeah. So they were bigger guys. Okay. Yeah. So they, they were uh, they were always getting along together. Everything was happy for about a year or two. Um, but then Dennis's overbearing, controlling personality would come up. They started having frequent arguments um, because Dennis liked it. I mean, this is before social media, and he was just taking pictures left and right. And, you know, like imagine back then with cameras, no social media. You're not actually posting them. You know, you have to, like, you know, develop them all. Polaroids. <laughs> yeah, and you have to do it just right. You know, he's trying to get, um, you know, David to pose like every five seconds. It's just driving him insane. You know, they're trying to act out stuff. He's trying to make home videos. And, and, you know, and Den- and David's just like fed up. So one day he just like, while Dennis is at work, he cleans out his stuff, leaves bleep behind with him and goes about his business and moves away and never comes back. 
Oh, like you were censoring yourself when you said leap behind. behind. Yeah. 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 Dennis comes home and it's like, what the bleep is going on? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, bloody shame. Bloody shame. Well, well, I mean, he had to do what he had to do, you know? Yeah. At least he got away. At least he got away. Yeah. But uh, this this left a hole in uh, Bleep's heart, and so was Dennis as well, because, uh, you know, David... I can't be serious (laughs) with the bleep. (laughs) It's a bleeping dog, all right? right? (laughs) Okay. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) So he's like, he's becoming a drinker again, because he's Uh got no one to come home to. And uh, yeah, just bleep and bleep doesn't talk too much, you know. He bleeps himself all the time. <laughs> you don't got bleep to come home to. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> bleep left a lot of bleep on the to- on the, uh, on the floor, you know. So <laughs> ain't that a bleep? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you come up with bleep, man? I mean, that's like the weirdest name ever. I like that name actually. It's pretty. It's funny. You're gonna name your future dog. I might bleep. have to name my future dog Bleep. <laughs> and it's minus David. God. Yeah. So on December thirtieth, nineteen seventy-eight, we have a date in mind. Yeah. Uh, you know what we say on this show: when there's a date, there's a crime. Exactly. <clears throat> so Dennis would make this happen at a local bar looking at a young man from across the the uh the bar he saw he he figured he was a, he was an underage kid and so Aww. Dennis was like you know what I'm going to go over and talk to this kid how old do you think the kid was and you said they're at a bar they're at a bar they're back in london right they're in london yes because he's in a he's in a nice part of London too. He's off Melrose Street. They're at a pub, huh? So let me see. He was fifteen listed in the army, so I'm gonna say he was fourteen. Gabby? I said thirteen. Maddie Matt nailed it. He's fourteen years old. Bada bang. <laughs> he was not carded by the pub management at all. And he was sitting up there three drinks in before Dennis started to talk to him. And they began to have drinks. Uh, he bought him a couple of drinks. He said, uh, "He said, hey, well, what if we uh, leave this bar? He goes, it's getting kind of pricey. Let's go to my house. I got a lot of drinks. You can come by. It's for free at my house. And I live off of uh, Melrose. Uh, sounds like Dahmer. I'm about to say he sounds just like Dahmer. You'll see what happens here. So he goes, hey, I got, I got free drinks in my refrigerator. So young Steven... Uh, which was his name, Stephen Dean Holmes, um, said, you know what? Uh, yeah, let's do it. And uh, so Dennis is like, hey, I got records, which at the time, Dennis had a big record collection. Mm-hmm. He liked he liked the bands like The Who and all those that were, you know, the Beatles. And he liked uh, Rolling Stones. So he had a lot of those albums back at the house. Nice. Yeah, nice. He, had a, he had a nice like loft uh, on the second floor and it, the 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 apartments had uh, a big backyard, and you know, and then they had a, a yard adjacent with with a uh, was it shrubbery and, and forest type area. So it was a nice little neighborhood. So he takes them back to the house, and uh, they start drinking some more. They're listening to loud music, and uh, the kid passes out on the bed, young Stephen, and 
good. Yeah, not good at all. But Dennis does too. And he just was like, he's enjoying the company. You know, he had a full night talking with his kid. The kid's really cool. He's in bed with him. And, uh, you know, he wakes up around 7 or 8 in the morning. And the kid is still passed out. He's 14. He drank probably like 7 or 8 pints of booze, you know. So he's he's knocked out. Oh, yeah. 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 So um, Dennis starts to stroke his hair a little bit, you know, touch his arm. And he's like. You know, it's now or never. If he's going to do something, it's now, you know? And so what do you think he does? He raped him. What Gabby said. <laughs> now, here's what I would say. And again, I'm not condoning the act, but if hindsight being what it is now, I think he would have went, he would have took the rape. But Stephen was not raped. Oh, man. Dennis leaned back to see a tie on the door, and he grabbed the tie, and with Stephen sleeping, gently put it around his neck, straddled the young boy from behind, and pulled as hard as he could. <gasps> strangling both, uh, strangling Stephen as they fought and fell off the side of the bed while, while uh, Dennis was straddling him the whole time, tugging harder and harder, till finally Stephen stopped breathing to where he thought he killed him but he was he was just passed out so then Dennis got the idea of taking this tub and filling it with water that you would like soak your feet in mm-hmm. and brought it over to Steven's face and then put his head and shoved it into the water until he drowned so you want to make sure he was dead yes freaking bastard man so he killed the fourteen. So he didn't rape him. Didn't did not rape him. You would think that you know he's got the opportunity to finally experience his sexual desire that he's been craving. Why would he murder him? Well, he had, and that's the thing. He had. Well, you're right. You're right. He has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had that. Yeah. The the remember the sexual relationship with David. They had a normal yeah, you're right, you're sexual right. relationship, but yeah. this was a, on a different level all together so so i'll ask you guys again what are your thoughts on what he does next with the corpse well he probably has something to do with you know his memory of his grandpa so he probably kept it and put that powder on it and and did some things to it yeah he probably posted and took pictures of him you guys are both correct so first though he did was he took him to the bathtub uh cleaned him up, you know, gave him a bath, washed him really good, um, shaved him where he, he had any kind of hair that he didn't like, put the talcum powder, which also acted as like a makeup cover. So any blemishes from the strangulation, he would cover mm-hmm. those up to where you don't see him. And uh, he he would put the bed in or he put the young boy in the bed and began to, uh, you know, just talk with him and have a good time with him. And what yeah he would also the only thing sexual in his memoirs he wrote that he did not want to defile the body by penetration because penetration would would uh ruin the perfect state that he put the body in so he did oral sex and you know oral sex both ways to him and you know give and take and then he would I, I, mostly caress and stuff like that. 
Okay. How the heck is a dead body gonna give you oral? You can find a way. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say that. Yeah. Oh. So. Uh, yeah, you open one's mouth and, and yeah, just, start. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's my thing, though. He clearly is dead. He, nothing's working. He wasn't going to get hard. Like you know, let's be honest. Like, what was he like? Why was he doing that? Uh, well, for for his sexual gratification, his uh, fantasies. Um, he did masturbate on the boy's stomach several oh. times. That's that's what he would do to finish. Um, so it was clearly all forms necrophilia, with the exception of the pen- penetration. So necrophilia, for those that don't know, it's having sex with a corpse. Ooh. He's sick. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Yes. You think? Something's wrong. Something's been wrong. Yes. So he's, okay, so he's experiencing, you know, this is all within one day. You know, like like after the the drunken stupor and everything, he's still hung over and everything. So he goes to bed with him lying in bed with him, and then he wakes up just freaking out. And he's like, "Oh my god, the cops are going to be here any minute!" So he rips the curtains off of his windows, wraps the, the young boy's body up in the curtains, and then he takes apart the floorboards because it's like uh, wooden floors. Mm-hmm. And he puts the body underneath the floorboards and then puts it, you know, screws it back in and leaves the body down there. You know, that thing's going to be stinking. So he kept telling himself, hey, you know what? Uh, I've got to, I've got to, uh, was it uh, put on a good face? I can't, you know, freak out because he hasn't missed any days of work. So he's going to work, trying not to trip out, uh, realizing he has a body right be- below his feet when he gets home. And he's checking the papers, and no one has said anything about this young fourteen or fourteen-year-old boy. So nobody's looking for him. Nobody's looking for him. Um, he, you know, he came from a broken home himself, so there's really no one out there looking for him at all. Dang. Yeah. So, wow. yeah, that kind of sucks. And the, and the police are like, you know, like you have the hillbillies out there, like, you know, some missing children out here. I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna show up like them tea and crumpets, you know. But <laughs> wait a minute, how are the hillbillies in London? <laughs> hey, they travel, they're man. They might. They're everywhere. Yeah, they sure are. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, they're the you know, it just sucks because you know this this fourteen year old, they wouldn't find out about this kid till later later. So that's a, that's a bad thing. He pretty much got away with that. Yeah. Yeah. So after this, you know, he decided, you know, I'm I'm going to go on the straight and narrow. And he went back to his, you know, hard working at, you know, working long hours at at the his job in the city, having casual sex with men, you know, and then coming home to bleep. And that was his life for about a good year. <laughs> now, why can't he just do that, man? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, this, he was just doing his thing right there. And remember the body's still in the floorboards at this point. And this is now December 3rd, 1979. Who, who, how did they not smell it? You said he lived in an apartment. He lived in an apartment. How so, they didn't smell it. Well, he, he would, he would say later that, you know, he, and I'll get into it too. Like he was, oh, okay. he was spraying, yeah, he was spraying and stuff like that too. So, I mean, but still, mm. um, so December 3rd, <laughs> what happened? No, I'm saying, I mean, it's a dead body. Yeah. 
Lysol can't cover that. Man, you, you'd be surprised. I mean, after COVID, man, Lysol took care of a lot of stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So December 3rd, 1979, uh, his routine would change. Um, he met Kenneth Ken Octon. Um, at this point, Dennis is now 34 and young Kenneth is 23. Um, oh. Kenneth, Kenneth was visiting from Canada. Um, the two men were both into photography and music. And uh, London at, at the time was producing a lot of rock and individ, uh, influential music. So when Dennis met Kenneth and they were hanging out uh, on, on Kenneth's vacation, um, Dennis was like, hey, man, I'll show you all the local music scenes, the hot spots, the clubs where all these bands got their starts. You know, there's a lot of cool places in London and we can go to pl- pubs and check out stuff. And he's like, oh, and, and, the, and Kenneth loved The Who. So he's like, oh, I've got like every album of The Who. You got to come over to my house, man, and check it out. So Kenneth came over to Dennis's house. And uh, Kenneth told Dennis that uh, he was wanting to hang out more. And the next day, and, and uh, uh, you know, Kenneth told Dennis that, hey, you know, what? I'm going to be going back to Canada and then you know so, so tomorrow i'll be flying out and so dennis was like already his demeanor changed because he's like oh man i finally found a friend that i could spend time with and that he was wants- let him go yeah no, yeah exactly you know he he wants to keep him around but now he's gonna leave so that whole way of thinking like you said gabby i've got to keep him around that kicks in mm. yeah so Dennis would all of a sudden change his tune and say, you know, literally change his tune. He would say, hey, I got these new headphones, Kenneth. Put these on, you know, sort of like the ones we use in the studio. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you'll hear the bass, you'll hear the guitar, you know, the who's going to sound like 100% better with these headphones on other than the stereo. So Kenneth puts them on and he's facing the stereo and, and you know, watching the record go round and round. And as he puts those headphones on and he's listening intently, Dennis sneaks up from behind and grabs the cord from the stereo to his headphones. And before Kenneth can move, he wraps it around his neck like twice and then tugs and starts pulling. And the two begin grappling and fighting in the living room of his loft. Damn. Yes. So picture this. Dennis has a half-drinking bottle of rum as he's lying up against his window with no curtains because remember the curtains were taken down (laughs) with the body. He's leaned up on it on the floor looking at the dead body of young Kenneth who still had the cord around his neck, the headphones on his ears, still playing the Who music as he's now dead on his floor. Yep. So, what happens now? Oh, go ahead. No, I didn't say. Oh, um, so he strips him naked, puts him in the bathtub, does the same kind of cleaning thing. The you know uses the talcum powder to 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 take away the bruising, and then puts the lipstick on to make it look like it's he's got the you know the blue lips because the body you know the the uh, temperature of the body has gone away. Um, Kenneth was very hairy, so he winds up shaving him like a like a young kid, basically removing most of the hair. Um, and then he would keep him for the next three to four weeks. What? Wow. Yeah. 
he would get Kenneth up out of bed, sit him in the table, and he would talk to him as he made coffee and breakfast. Then he would put him back in bed, go to work, come home, take him out of bed, dress him, put him up at the table, make dinner, have conversations with him while he's prepping and making the That's dinner. That's disgusting. They were watching television together. <laughs> I mean, it was like so weekend. Is he composting and he's still doing all that? Yes, and doing sexual things in between all that. So oh. it's like it's like Amen. a it's like a, a necrophilia uh, what's it called? <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's, that movie. Hey man. <laughs> this guy, he takes the cake. Right? That so so that's that is beyond gross. Yep. So Ugh. yeah, he so he keeps doing this, you know, and, and, and he's um you know, he's manicuring the body. He's making sure it's, you know, uh, I mean, four weeks is a long time with a decomposing. Yeah. So when the body starts to finally smell, um, uh. he does the same thing. He wraps the body up, puts it in the floorboards next to Steven. So now he has two bodies. Um, the difference with this case is two days after Kenneth was missing, Scotland Yard, which is the famous police department mm-hmm. um, and police agency, the London Royal, uh, the London Police, and also uh, well, the Canadian Royal officials came over, and because it was now an international missing person, they were mm-hmm. all looking for him in the London area, but no one saw him go into Dennis's loft. So Dennis was hyperventilating at this point, but no one knew that he was involved at all. So they were looking for Kenneth for for weeks. But they could not find him. Hey, yeah. So that is gross. Pretty nasty, huh? A man, he needs some help. Like yeah. already batting up people doing things with a dead body, but like weeks later, ew. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that made me help. Sick. So who's hungry? No, just kidding. Uh-huh. You know what? <laughs> just kidding. So. <laughs> You fast forward five months later, and okay. he's, he's on a uh, conference, you know, in another city of London, and he's coming back, you know, on the train, and he gets off the train, and he looks over, and there's a there's a 16 year old boy, cuddled up on a train bench, shivering. Uh. So, so Dennis goes over to the 16 year old and says, "Hey, are you okay?" And he goes, "Yeah, I'm just, I'm a runaway, and I got nowhere to go." And uh, I'm hungry. So Dennis uh, was like, you know what? I'm going to be the nice guy right here. And he asked the teen, he's like, hey, uh, I can give you a place to sleep. You know, I'm a single guy. I have my own apartment. You know, I got plenty of food. I'm a working guy. You know, he looks like an everyday, normal white guy in London. So there's there's, these kids and whatnot are not scared of him or intimidated. So they're like, they're like, okay, you know, he seems like a trustworthy guy. So. He's he's like maybe he's trying to do me a uh, do me a solid. So young um, Martin Duffy uh, goes with him to the loft, and uh, you know he. Uh, and, and so this is on May seventeenth, nineteen eighty. Dennis took uh, Martin to his loft where uh, you know he fed him. They hung out listening to music, and then Dennis crept up from behind like he did the others, but this time with some bailing wire. And he, yeah, he tightened it around uh, poor uh, Martin's neck, and uh, the boy was was out before he knew it, and uh, he killed his third. 
right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I bet he regret running away at that moment. I think so. And what's sad about this, too, is Martin's father would be looking for him for years. The The body was not identified till way after the trial. Oh, man. Yeah. So he did not know his son was one of the victims originally like some of the others did. Hey. So, so, um, and then, and then here's the bad thing too. He went to the police and, uh, and said, Hey, you know, my son's missing. And then, um, you know, you had those British slash hillbillies. The hillbillies were like, I'm sure he'll turn up sometime. He probably went out and saw one of those dumbfangled new rock bands and he's going to come back. And then the other guy's like, yeah, he's going to come back. He's, he's just out there just playing around. He's a 16 year old, you know, he's, he's, he's going to come back. <laughs> okay, Stewie. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, the 16-year-old, obviously, we know what happened to him. But at the time, these cops are idiots, and they're telling the father, hey, he's going to come back. All the, all these kids run they away. They don't make a report or anything. Yeah, they don't make a report whatsoever. He's never considered missing, only to the father. That's wow. jacked up, man. Yep. I mean, it was a clear – I mean – in hindsight, there was nothing they could do because he's already dead, but still. Mm-hmm. Take the man seriously and at least try. Yeah. And I think out of all the things that Dennis did, the thing that was crazy about everything, all the times he came home drunk, the murders, the stuff that he would do, the, the picking up men for casual sex you know, overnights, because he's staying out pretty late. He never missed a day of work, and he always did his work as a bureaucrat in London in the city. You know, he he got high remarks from all his constituents. So, like, he had a nightlife, but he never let it affect his workday, which was great. So. But he was not a suspect. He was never a suspect. So. Now. Exemplary ones. Exactly. Exactly. So now it gets a little bit more creepy. Um so at this point now, Martin's got to be put in the floorboards. And he's running out of room in the loft because it's now maggot time. Maggots are coming out of the floor. Ew. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew they were coming, but ew. Yeah, so out of the floorboards, maggots are coming. You're starting to get a stench. A couple neighbors are complaining. So what do you do at this point? Um, He decides that in his former military life that he was really good at hacking things up. Oh, no. So, one by one, he takes the bodies of the three young men and he lays out these big tarps of trash bags all over his kitchen floor and he begins to chop up the body bodies and put them in different bags, either the limbs, the organs... Uh, flesh, stuff like that. And he he decides to have a bonfire in the backyard of the loft because it's a huge backyard. People would go burn their, uh, their shrubbery, you know, from when they do their lawns, the, the uh, leaves, or their trash. So, so to cover the smell, um, he puts the body parts out there at night, like late at night. And he takes the smaller pieces, like your, you know, your cut pieces, your bone fragments, and he tosses them over into that shrubbery area I was talking about, the little forest area over the fence. 
so mm-hmm. that so that smaller animals, wild animals, can eat it. And then mm-hmm. the bigger pounds of flesh, he puts it in with trash and tires to mask the smell of the burning flesh. Mm-hmm. So in a in a big neighborhood full of people, he's burning bodies and no one's suspecting a thing because they're smelling burnt rubber. Mm. Well, he's not stupid, but he's still a pig. He is. He is. So he got rid of the maggots. He got rid of the smell. Um, you know, he's, you know, the, the, the killings he thought would be over at this point. Cause he's like, dude, this, this took so much out of me. You know, I had to do all this extra stuff. Maybe it's too much. I need to stop acting like this, you know? And, you know, maybe just go back to like casual hookups, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, this would not be the case Um, from October 1980 to April 30th, 1981. Dennis would go on a murder streak and he would he would assault three men that would get away. And would not speak up to police, so that, what? yeah, that would that would get. Are you kidding me? Yeah, in between the killings, there was three opportunities where he tried strangling men in broad daylight, and one at his house, and they got away and never reported the cases. Had they done so, maybe more men would have been saved. Yeah, but seven men would succumb to Dennis. Come on, man. Five of which would never be identified to this day. So he would do exactly the same things that he did with the three prior bodies, but be putting them in storage in his loft, either in floorboards or in a bathroom or in a wall. He cut a piece of wall out and shoved the body in it. What the heck? Hey, man, this man is beyond sick. Yeah. So his apartment became a graveyard? Pretty much, because you remember the the John Wayne Casey from Chicago? He had all those bodies down below his house. It's almost the same thing with this guy, but he's he has them inside his house. So the, the smell was getting atrocious. That. Yeah. And he's going, we, like, he, he would go, like, three weeks, four weeks at max, and he'd be like, okay, the body's decomposing. I got to get a new one. So mm-hmm. put it away. That is so disgusting. Yeah. How does yeah. people how does he not vomit? I don't know. I don't know. So, you know, he's just racking up one after another and uh, you know, if, if you're keeping count at this time, you know, he's moving on to uh his 11th, you know, he has 11 victims now. You know, cuz he he then kills an uh, an eighth victim to make it 11. Mm-hmm. So now he's got eight bodies up in that loft. Um his 12th victim, though, is a little different than all the others. Um, this guy is Malcolm Barlow. He's a 24-year-old who had all kinds of health issues, right? He was a little runaway, too. Same thing. But he's grown up on the streets most of his life. So okay. at the age of 24, he's right outside Dennis's loft, just, like, struggling. He's, like, begging for money. Usually Dennis sees him all the time. But when Dennis walks by him one night, he sees him sh- shaking and convulsing. So Dennis decides to take, uh, pick the young boy up, call a cab, 
They get in the cab. They go to the hospital. Dennis winds up saving his life because the kid was having a real bad epileptic seizure. Mm. So he's going to save his life to kill him? <laughs> well, here's what happens. Dennis feels really good about it and says, hey, you know, I finally did a good deed. I'm ex- you know, I-, I saved the kid's life. The kid's very thankful. And, you know, Dennis went back home and a few days passed and uh, Martin gets out of the hospital and comes by Dennis's house and says, hey, man, look, um, you know, I picked some flowers for you because, you know, I don't have no money. I'm this and that. But I just wanted to tell you, thank you. And so Dennis says, hey, well, why don't you come in and have something to eat? I'll, I'll make some dinner for you. He had no intention of killing the kid. But what happened is Martin gets way too comfortable with Dennis's, um, you know, hospitality. And he he starts to take advantage, you know, touching stuff that Dennis doesn't want him to touch. He's getting, you know, he's very loud, boisterous. And he's like, oh, I'm going to spend the night, like not even asking. He just does so. And so the next day, Dennis is like, you know what? This guy's a nuisance. I'm going to kill him. And so for the, he saved the kid. And then all of a sudden he just turns it on him, dude, and just kills him. And then makes him one of his uh, his bodies that he needs to dispose of. and Or actually make, you know, one of his boy toys, as he liked to call them. That is the stupidest thing. You're going to save somebody's life just so you could take it. Yep, he just came back and strangled him like he did all the others. That's crazy. So now getting to where you guys are talking about the Lysol and stuff, um, the smell is now atrocious because remember the first time he had to burn the bodies, there was only three bodies. Yeah, now you got got nine. Mm. And the smell is beyond bad to where it is permeating through the air conditioning vents into other apartments. And there's um, the owner comes at uh, Dennis and says, I don't know what you're doing in there, but it's got to stop or else. And the smell kept going. So the next month, the owner said, you're out. You're evicted. You got to go. Wow. So at this point, you have maggots coming out of basically every wall in the loft. Uh, Yeah. So this is definitely one of those. uh, What is a hoarders type episodes? But with bodies. Um. He was trying Lysol. He was trying every kind of fragrance you, fragrance you can try, and no, this, it wasn't masking the smell at all. There's nothing that can mask death. Mm-hmm. So he literally had October fourth was his was his day that he needed to be out of the apartment. So last minute, last minute, Dennis here on October third. He puts his gloves on. He gets his, you know, he's like, all right, man, we're going to do this. And he literally chops up one by one, all nine bodies in one, mm-hmm. in one drunken stupor. He gets as drunk as he can and just starts chopping up bodies, putting them in bags. And he's, he's freaking just organized the same way he did the last time, throwing the body parts over to the side, um, trying to get rid of the bones. Um mm-hmm creating a big bonfire this time a bigger bonfire because you know i have nine bodies and some local kids start to smell there's not enough tires in that uh in that bonfire (laughs) and and the kids start to smell that like rotting flesh Mm -hmm. and they start telling their neighbors and and or their friends 
and Dennis sees this and he freaks out. So he puts more lighter fluid, tries to get more trash in there. And then he's like, oh, it's a losing battle. So he runs back into his apartment, starts getting all the stuff he possibly can. And he's out of there. He just takes off with the fire still burning and everything before people even could figure it out. And when they did figure it out that, you know, there's something smelly in there, instead of reporting it to the police, they were like, all right, walk away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what? Nobody are said you, anything? Are you kidding me? Nobody investigated the burning, what smelled clearly like burning flesh. Wow. Yep. So at this time now, uh, Dennis would move to a not so nice area, but it was a Muswell part of London. So it's a small area, a small quaint little area, but not as nice as the Melrose area that he was in. Um, but this time he was in a small loft, an attic on top of this apartment complex. So picture just like a one bedroom. It's got everything in it, you know, with the only thing that's closed off is a toilet. That's it. And he's still at his same job. Yeah, still making good money at his same job, but just not focused on buying, I guess, big things or whatever. But uh, yeah, he's in a small freaking loft. dude. It's, it's, like, it's just like a little studio room. Um, yeah, so he, he figures at this point, I can't do what I did in my old apartment. You know, I almost got caught. There's besides, there's no room here. You know, I'm just going to go about my business and, you know, and, and try to just live my life. Mm-hmm. Do you think he does that? No, of, of course, course not. not. <laughs> he, he tends to go on another killing spree. I... <laughs> so November 23rd, 1981. He tried to strangle a man by the name of Paul Nobbs, but Nobbs got away from Dennis before he could strangle him in the streets of London. Did Nothing. He reported? Nope, not at all. What is wrong with these men? Not until not until everything came out. Then they're like, "Hey, I almost got strangled." <laughs> right? That's yeah. So stupid. Well, you like Todd said, it's in that era where gays and lesbians were frowned upon. Well, they probably didn't want any, you know. Yeah, but there's no explanation there that he was trying to hook up with them. It says he was just trying to strangle people in broad daylight. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it could be that, too. I mean, it could be both of those. Like, you know, it's just the fact that, you know, he got assaulted by another man. I don't know. But uh, mm. but uh, yeah. no- nothing came of this one. No one reported the crime. Dennis took some time off, but in March of 1982... Uh, the 31st of uh, March, to be exact, he met a man at a gay bar named John Hallett. He invited John back to his house for drinks, and the usual routine was on. But okay. they, but the two men would grapple and fight for nearly 30 minutes as John was as big as Dennis. And, hey. and he was having a hard time controlling him. But on the fourth attempt to try to strangle young John, he finally got control of John and he strangled him and then would uh, lower his head in a bucket of water and watch uh, John's life disappear. Um, yeah. So they, put up a big, they actually put up a battle. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Dennis sustained injuries from his fight with John, but eventually uh, got the best of him. And uh, John John's body would, you know, go through the same rituals, the cleaning, everything, you know, he'd prop him up. He'd, you know, take care of his lonely loneliness his physical attraction you know do things to the body but uh this body was a little bit different he put it in the armoire 
What? Yeah, because he had no floorboards at this house. So mm. he with his a, clothes? Yeah, yeah, he just put him in with his clothes. So mm. <laughs> Well, that's a good place to play. He was the best hide and seek person of all time. I tell you that right now. <laughs> He's like, Oh, uh let's see, what shirt should I wear? Oh, there's the dead body. <laughs> uh, so Dude, seeing his dad must have really messed him up. Oh yeah, jacked him up. I mean, I'm sorry, the grandpa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in nineteen eighty-two, October sixth, Dennis could not hold his urges anymore. After the body was put away, he needed another person. And he offered uh the man by the name of Graham Allen G, uh a uh who was a drug addict, a hot meal. And the same routine happened, the strangulation, everything, right? And but he put him in the uh he put him in the bathtub after he was done playing with him. But now there's nowhere, you know, you have two rotting corpses in your small little apartment. And wow. yeah, so he's trying to figure out how the heck can I get rid of the evidence now because I'm on the top floor. It's not like I could pull a body down in these bags and stuff like that. Like, what am I supposed to do? So what do you guys think that he did? Uh, I'm going to say he's on the top floor. Uh, I'm going to say he, uh, I don't, maybe he ate him. Oh. I'm thinking he did the same. He chopped them up, but he probably blended them. Well, Gabby's the closest on this one. He didn't he didn't uh eat or partake in their body parts, but he chopped them up into the smallest of pieces he possibly could, and piece by piece, bone fragment by bone fragment, he flushed them down the toilet. Oh dear. What a freaking Ugh. So two bodies in whole. I mean whole. And the only way he was able to get the head down there, he had to boil the heads. Oh. oh uh, if you got to go through all this just to kill somebody. Yeah, he, he boiled them to the point where he was able to crush the skull, crush them into pieces, and put piece by piece of the head and the skull down the toilet. Uh. Or if they ever wanted to check for DNA. Go through his toilet bowl. And and here's the thing, guys. He was so methodical about it. Again, he's still going to work and no one's suspecting a thing. He's not going hungover that people can notice. Just he's doing this dastardly stuff in his apartment and then going to work like he's an everyday worker. Mm-hmm. So now his final victim, Stephen Sinclair, was a 23 or 22-year-old heroin addict. Once again, he would uh, play the nice guy and offer him a place to hang out, a place to drink. But to Dennis's surprise, as soon as he got Stephen up into his house, Stephen shot himself up with a heavy dose of heroin, like a heavy dose. Mm. And he passed out. And so he made Dennis's job so much easier. And But Dennis felt sorry for him because he saw slash marks on his wrist. So he had tried to kill himself before so Dennis was like, you know what? I'm doing this kid a favor. So I'll kill him myself. Wow. Oh, wow. So he killed him. And then Dennis would wind up watching soccer games with a dead corpse of Sinclair. 
uh, doing the same type of things, hanging out, um, even playing chess, you know, with a dead corpse there. What? Um, yeah. This guy is psycho. So he's he's enjoying his time with these these corpses. So here's his downfall. Um, one too many bodies going down the sewage system. Um, it became Sinclair's time to go down the sewage, and like the other two bodies. Dennis began the ritual of chopping the, the body up piece by piece, flushing the flesh, the bone, the organs, the blood, all down the toilet. And all of a sudden, in early February, everyone's, about 20 units in that apartment, everyone's sewage backed up. Uh. <laughs> well, Johnson? Were the parts coming out through people's toilets? Well, here's the thing. Fortunately, that that wasn't the case. It wasn't like a Lisa Liam thing from that apartment where the, you know, they turn on the faucet and the blood water's coming out. Um, no, this was this was just that every time they go to flush the toilet, the water wouldn't go down. So their duke or whatever came up out of the toilet. You know, when, when they went to go, you know, turn on the garbage disposal, everything came up. Yeah. Uh, so that just nothing was working. So they were complaining to the uh the manager and guess who had the balls to write the letter him him dennis yeah because dennis was like hey if i write the letter they won't suspect me so he's like hey i'm pissed <laughs> off too man my plumbing ain't working <laughs> so lucky bastard right i mean this guy's got some major cojones um so anyway you know it's february 5th 1983 at the Crandon Avenue apartments, a local, you know, everyone comes outside to watch a local uh, plumber uh, who's a pretty good plumber um, by the name of Mike Catron uh, comes by and he re- opens up the sewage, uh, was a sewer lid, and he climbs down there and he automatically smells something foul. And he goes down into the, uh, you know, it's, it's. I mean, how does poop smell? Come <laughs> Like, right. Yeah, this is this is poop with body parts though. Just, just poop times ten. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he he climbs down there and he starts like like picking up huge chunks out of the pipes, and he comes up with this like slurry type of like gooey fleshy substance. And he's thinking, is it is someone like kill a deer and you know try to shove it down here because this is fleshy parts and. Everyone's like, oh, what is that? You know, they're all freaking out. And Dennis is like, yeah, yeah, what is that? And, uh, you know, and so so he co- calls a supervisor and the supervisor is like, hey, man, it's getting late. Uh, let's uh, attack this in the morning. So right away, um, you know, Mike, Mike says, hey, you know, tells the landlord, tells the people, we're going to fix this tomorrow. We, we're going to have to do a big cleanup. We're going to bring some more plumbers and we're going to get all this rotting flesh or whatever it is out of here. So as they do that, they close everything up. Dennis is now freaking out because he's like, dude, the jig is up. They find out. They see that stuff in the daytime. They're going to know it's it's human flesh. I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. So he goes to the bottle, starts drinking himself into a stupor, and then all night he's going up and down the loft, climbing into the sewer, and trying to remove all the flesh he possibly can. Oh, dear. What a dummy. And he's taking it all back up into his apartment. What a dummy. So he's getting hair, flesh, everything, blood, as much as stuff as he can, and taking it back upstairs. 
So in the morning, Mike comes back with his supervisor and they're like, Mike's like, wait a minute. I left the lid on the sewer because Dennis stupidly doesn't put the lid on the, the sewer. And then, and then Dennis, Mike goes down there and looks and sees that all the flesh, but except one chunk that Dennis forgot was in the corner, was left. So he shows the supervisor. And then as they're talking about like, hey, man, who, who would go in there and take all that stuff out? A neighbor comes down, a nosy neighbor, because there's always one in an apartment complex. Of course. And she says, the guy that lives up in the top floor was going up and down the stairs all night. Do you think it was him? So right away, Mike and the supervisor were like, you know what? Let's call the police. This is weird. The police come down and be like, hey, what's that stuff you got there? <laughs> and then the other guy is like, I, th- I think we should test it. It could be something in Bolton. So they, they take the flesh and they, they test it. And two days later, they find out it's human remains. Mm. Which one? Well, that's that's what we're going to get to right now. They. The police uh, are like, hey, you know what? This guy could be dangerous. You know, we're going to come with like a sw- our form of SWAT team. You know, big heavy guys, and and you know, two days later, they're they're staking out his house. They're waiting for Dennis to come home from work, and all of a sudden, you know, they see this guy show up. He looks like an average Joe white guy, and they're like, wait a minute. And 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 before Dennis left work, he he told his coworker, you know, if I don't come back tomorrow, I'm either dead or I got arrested. And he laughed about it. And they thought it was a joke. And he, he he could tell he was gonna get arrested. He just knew it. And so when he came down, the he surprised the police officers and put, put his hands up and gave himself up and said, Hey, you want to take a tour of my loft? I'll show you where the bodies are and the body parts. The police couldn't even wow. get the police couldn't even get two feet into his apartment. What? Oh dear, the stench. Exactly the stench, and he had picture How this. He stay there, I, but he was there three days with that leftover sewage up there. Oh, yeah, so he probably got used to it. And think about this, guys. So, think about just average furniture in a small studio apartment, and every bit of furniture that you have in that studio apartment has a trash bag just oozing or leaking body fluids body parts it stinks like sewage and death and it's laying pretty much on every piece of furniture in that box, including the refrigerator oh that's gross yes so right away the detectives they said they're not going to go in the apartment they're going to send the forensic teams in they don't want it's a biohazard like and and so the detective takes him into custody re- reads him his miranda rights uh-huh. they get in the car and the detective is already like man it's a huge case like i'm gonna be all over the freaking papers and as he's they're driving towards the police station for interrogation he says just offhanded he goes how many bodies do you have up in there how many, how many have you killed and then Dennis says, oh, 15 or 16. And right away, that was like the case of the century. Oh, my God. One of the biggest cases right there. Jesus Christ. So, so he's just killing at this point. Yeah, he just, I mean, he killed 15 uh, that they know of. And uh, attempted on on a, on, a, on much more scale. They, they, they think he had killed a few more and attempted a few others. Um, so to wrap this case up, um, 
you know, he went into 30 hours of detail about each murder that he did at the Melrose place and then also mm-hmm. in that loft. And when they searched the areas that he told them to, they found over a thousand bone fragments where he burned those bodies. Mm. And they were only out of the 15 able to identify six of the of the uh, bodies. Jeez. Well, they were all in pieces. That's crazy. Yes, yes. And uh, so judging by UK law and, and some of the complaints of our fans, because they've sent us you know, stuff about the UK and, and how they've let people off for ridiculous, heinous crimes. Yeah. What do you think he got uh, as far as the punishment? And, you know. Oh, man. I'm going to say he got 20 years in prison. Yeah. I'm going to say like 35. Well, you guys are both right. Oh, um, God. Really? <laughs> yeah, because what happened in, ni- in 1984, um, he, would, he would get only... For six murders, twenty-five years. So yeah, yeah, twenty-five years, and uh, he can get paroled after that. What? Yeah, so you got twenty-five years to life, but you can get paroled after twenty-five. So okay. he already got paroled. Well, here's here's and, and you know, look, a sick bastard like you would say, sh- he should have been murdered or or euthanized. Instead, you know, they don't have that over there. So mm-hmm. he was allowed to live. And he attempted to write books, but they stopped him from profiting on the, uh, you know, because he was writing about his murders. This bastard would uh, not get paroled, but in 2018, he would succumb to a blood clot after having a stomach issue. So he died in prison in his sleep. Oh, he got to die peacefully. Yep. Unlike his victims. This guy, man. He should have been chopped into pieces. Exactly. Or or <laughs> strangled very slowly. I, I agree, no, bro. No, chopped very slowly. <laughs> no, no, strangled very slowly. No. Let his windpipe get crushed. No, that's not good enough. That ain't? No, because he strangled the people. That's right. They didn't get to experience the rest. Like, they didn't live it. But he still chopped them up. Like toss them like nothing, burnt them, flushed them. That's disgusting. Yep. They should have been chopped piece by piece and blended and flushed. What do they say on the show? Off with oh. the Wang. <laughs> yeah. The Wang should have went, you know, a long time ago. Oh yeah. Yeah, he should have been castrated first, taken out his balls, turned him inside out. Yeah, that's jacked up. And then chopped them starting up the toes and start doing what he did to his victims. Mm-hmm. He's, no, he's, chop him and flush him. I know. And burn him alive. <laughs> alive? Yep. You're taking it a little step further. Yeah, she's going all the way. What people like that deserve? No, I'm not. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying you're taking it a step further. <laughs> yeah, he deserved to be tortured for he, what he did to all those people. Yeah, it sucks because he outlived a lot of the uh, – with his time in prison, he spent 34 years in prison. Most of his victims were under the age of 34, obviously. So he- There's one thing that confuses me mm-hmm. about loss, about the system. Mm-hmm. How – why is it that you can only charge somebody with the murder of a person they have 
proof on, even though this sick bastard confesses to all of them, knows them by name, and tells people exactly what he did. Why isn't he being charged for them if he told you himself? Two, two things come to mind that I know of, uh, and I feel your frustration because a lot of these cases of serial killers, the parents of the ones that have been killed or whatever, they want their child to be a, a part of that case too and to, to have their case closed. Because in all actuality, some of those cases are still open because they weren't, even though the, the killer confessed, they had no, not enough evidence to wrap the, the killer with the body. So even with a confession like this, they want concrete evidence, and then it might cost them a lot more money to try the case of an additional person. So I guess they figured they had enough bodies under him to keep him away forever, I guess. But it's still stupid. It's like, okay, he's telling you about the specific person. You know he did it. That person's not out there. Nobody else is confessing to their murder. Mm -hmm. If that person is, why the hell do you need evidence? Give people justice. I agree. Through the evidence. He he ruins that evidence. Mm -hmm. It's not fair to their families. It's not fair to that person. It's just, it's so stupid. I will never understand it. Yeah, and this and this guy was trying to write books about each additional, the way he hacked up the bodies, who he hacked up. He was writing details about it. So, I mean, like Gabby said, he had his own written confession. He should have charged all those bodies to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in the court of law, like, like if you look up the Wikipedia or you look up the case, however, it'll show a, fi- a kill count of 15. But the ones that he's charged with, with an asterisk, is six. You know, the, the court only recognizes six. I'm with Gabby. So. Recognize them all for the other murders as well. Yep. Absolutely. So, But that was a case of one of the most prolific serial killers of the UK. This is why people get rid of evidence. Because as long as you don't have it, you're not guilty. Mm. That is true. So it shows Thanks that, uh, for giving everybody the idea of what to do to free themselves. Well, I'm quite sure other people <laughs> already know that. But. No, I, I'm just saying, when this started, the whole thing about you got to have the evidence, you've pretty much given the idea to all those stupid-ass killers to do exactly that because since they have no proof, they can't get anything there for it. Then they can do. Did you see me on camera? No, I didn't do it. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Or what I hate is when they actually come out there and they confess to everything and then their lawyer's like, he meets with him, he's like, why did you talk to the cops? And then he's like, oh yeah, I'm recanting everything. And then the court's got to realize, oh, he recanted it. It's like, no, he got that on tape, dude. He said it. But they have to mm-hmm. say, okay, we talked with his lawyer, now he's recanting. It's like, great, now they have, they don't, they can't use that in the court of law. That's not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 weird how that works. It seems like they favor the um, the criminal. The, the criminal, yeah. Yeah, that's not okay. That's the unjust world we're in. Mm-hmm. Man, we can pass for that. He got off too easy. I think so. Yeah. Matter of fact, I know so. Uh, I'm with, I'm I'm actually with you guys on this one. He should have. He should have definitely uh, been a little tortured up in there. 
Yeah, he lived a long life, all things considered, from 45 to 2018. So unlike his victims, he, he got to enjoy a long yeah. life. For free. Yep, pretty much. Bastard. Mm-hmm. Well, is that the end of the story, Chapter Facts? Yes, sir, it is. We have come to the conclusion. Thank you so much, Todd Fox, for breaking down that story for us, sir. Mm-hmm. Freaking that dude, that dude, dude was crazy, man. Dude was nasty. Yeah, I mean, how would you like to be that uh, the plumber right there? I'd be like, man, they don't pay me enough for this. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have even gotten close. A little bit of the stench that was coming from the apartment, I'm out. I mean, I freaking. Go to the freaking plumbing. We were the investigators yeah. talking and puking out of there. I'm telling you, if you ever want to know kind of what death smells like, just go to a butcher shop when the meat's been sitting out, when they when they dispose of it, like the trash cans. If you smell that, uh, try to picture that 10 times or, or think of it 10 times worse. So, Especially after it's been decomposing for several days. I'm like, mm-hmm. guy, with you guys just saying it. Oof. Yeah. It's a pretty foul smell, dude. So, uh-huh. yep. Well, thank, thank you, Todd Fox, for that, uh, for that story and also for that illustration on, on how we can get a firsthand experience of, even though we don't want to, <laughs> the firsthand experience of what, what not to want to smell. <laughs> well, yeah, and one, one other thing, too, about this story, which I wasn't able to get any clarification on, too. Remember how uh, how he loved to go to well, – he was always at work, diligent. You know, no one ever had a problem with him. Oh, at yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. He was a professional. I want to know how did he not smell like the corpses when he went to work? That's a good yeah. point. It sticks to you. Yeah. And they never explained that. So, yeah, don't know. Probably had, probably had a change of clothes in his car. Or maybe he had one of those, you know, those little air fresheners you put in your car, like the trees. Mm. He like had like ten of those on his suit. You know, when we walked in, he had like a whole chain of them. What well, them know. trees, man, come in handy. It's like, it's like <laughs> you always smell pine fresh. Pine fresh. <laughs> man. Well, thank you, Todd Fox, for that story, sir. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are going to sign off right here. But before we do, I want to let you guys know once again where you can find us. Just go to uh, the Grinding True Crime page on our Facebook and Instagram. Just type in Grinding True Crime. You can leave a message, leave a comment. You can follow us, and we will get back to you when we can. Also, if you want to continue to listen to us on your podcast stream, just go to Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, and Pandora. And for those listening to us outside of the U.S., continue to listen to us on Podchaser. Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cash. Well, that's the wrap, you guys. So with this, with that being said, this is the Grinding True Crime, and this has been your host, Maddie Matt, along with Abigail and Todd Fox. And we are signing off. Toodles. Peace. Hey, you know, you you guys are uh, y'all come back now, here. Yeah? Okay? okay? You come back? You come back? You come back?